And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joses, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joses saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. 
you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, please do have those words just read in front of you. They're in your programs. And we're going to think a few moments about these final words from Mark's Gospel. And Mark's Gospel begins with words of good news, his Gospel account. And good news is only good news if it is true news. Good news that turns out to be untrue is not good news at all. In fact, it's not news. It's just hot air and ultimately irrelevant. And the news of Easter really is good news. It's incredible news. To boil it down, the news of Easter is that Jesus died and rose again. And by doing so, he fulfilled great and ancient promises that death would be defeated and that our sin would be paid for, so that we, people like you and me, can be reconciled to God and so enjoy eternal life. Now that's pretty good news, if it is true. But is it? Is it true? That is the fundamental question that we all must come to terms with. We're going to hear these words sung for us later on. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Is that not a wonderful image? Do not yearn for that and long for it. Everlasting life with the God who made us in perfect union forever. Sin and death no more. I yearn for that. Everlasting life with the God who created me, who made this astonishing universe. We get to live with him in restored relationship forever. Imagine that. Endless joy with Jesus. That sounds amazing. But is this good news true news? Is it true? Well, we're going to consider the evidence that Mark sets out for us. We will see that this good news is true news. Mark shows that Jesus did really die, he really was buried, and that he really rose from the dead. And then we're going to ask the question so what? So what? What does that mean for me and for you here today in Glasgow? So two simple points, and then think about the implications. Point number one, Jesus really was dead and buried. Jesus really was dead and buried. It's a passage that uh, Nathan read for us, that first half of the reading there in chapter 15. Mark describes for us there... The events from Jesus' death to his burial, verses 42 to 47. And he makes it absolutely clear that Jesus really did die and really was buried. Mark details multiple witnesses 
to the death of Jesus on the cross. The centurion, verse 39, who saw Jesus breathe his last. There are also the women looking on from a distance there in verse 40, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger and Joseph and Salome. So this is the centurion, these women. There's also Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. And Pilate, he's surprised to hear that Jesus is dead already. And so he seeks clarification. He doesn't just take Joseph's word for it. He wants to see if this is really the case. Verse 44, he summons the centurion. He asks him whether Jesus really was already dead. And when he learns from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he grants the corpse to Joseph. This is the same centurion who's witnessed Jesus' death. Just a few verses earlier, we read these words. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. This centurion, whose job it was to oversee crucifixion, this centurion was summoned by Pilate. And he was asked to verify the death of a man that he was responsible for. And the centurion responds in the affirmative, yes, Jesus is dead. Now the Romans were extremely efficient in this particular method of execution. They crucified thousands of individuals over their centuries in power. A centurion was trained to ensure that those crucified actually died And this centurion affirms Jesus' death. That is his one job. To get that wrong would mean serious consequences for the centurion. So here's a whole bunch of witnesses to Jesus' dead body. Mark presents us with three major ones, Joseph, Pilate, and the centurion. That's quite the set of witnesses when you think about it. Leading figures from the world of politics, religion, and the military. One is a Roman governor, one a respected member of the Jewish council, and one a senior figure in the military. And two of them had actual contact with his corpse. Mark is pretty clear, isn't he? Jesus was dead. Jesus died. That is the evidence Mark presents. And then he was buried. Verse 46 And Joseph brought the linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. So the two women, or two of the women who saw Jesus dead on the cross, they see where his body was laid. They saw his death. And now they saw his burial. Most of us would attend a funeral on less evidence, would we not? This is a compelling account of the fact of Jesus' death and his burial. But so what? Jesus died? Does it matter? Is it 
a tragic death of an innocent man, a waste of a promising life. Why did Jesus actually die? Well, Jesus died to provide life. He died so that we might live. In going to the cross, as we thought about on Friday night, Jesus was taking our sins on his shoulders. He died on our behalf. He took the punishment that we deserved. And his death means that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Earlier in Mark's Gospel, we read these words, and these are crucial words. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is such a central verse in Mark's Gospel because it sets out for us the essence of Jesus' death, what it was all for. In his death on the cross, Jesus paid the ransom price for the forgiveness of sins. The ransom price is the cup of God's wrath. Our sins deserve God's punishment. And by paying the ransom, Jesus bore himself the full weight of that punishment. Jesus experienced the judgment from God that you and I should experience for all of our sin. He died in our place, and my place and your place. And we'll think more about the implications of that later. But that is the first piece of evidence that we must consider And the evidence leads us to conclude that Jesus died on a cross and was buried. This really did happen. Jesus really did die. He really was buried. And secondly, Jesus really did rise from the dead. We're thinking now of chapter 16, uh, which uh, Kalila read for us just a few moments ago. So Mark, the writer of this gospel account, as well as setting out the clear evidence for the death of Jesus and his burial, he also sets out the evidence for his resurrection there in chapter 16. And it's clear from Mark's account that this is not the case of a stolen body. It's not the case of a resuscitation, but rather a resurrection. Jesus came back from the dead. The women there in verse 1 of chapter 16, they are on their way expecting to find a corpse. These are the very same women who saw Jesus' death and burial, and the text tells us that they were bringing spices. They were going to go and anoint Jesus' corpse. They are fully expecting to be dealing with a dead body. They're wondering, how are we even going to get access There's this huge stone. We saw it being rolled in front of the tomb. How are we going to get in? But when they arrive, they find that the stone has already been rolled away. And walking in, they find not the body of Jesus, but they see a young man dressed in a white robe who gives them some remarkable, astonishing news. Look at what he says. Verse 5. Verse 6 even, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. 
See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Remember, Jesus has been saying this for a long time. Three times in Mark's account, Jesus told his disciples exactly what was going to happen. Yes, I will die, but I will rise again. He will go before you just as he said. There is no corpse. The man testifies that Jesus is risen. He tells them to go to Galilee and they'll see him there. Jesus is no longer dead. He is risen. But so what? What is the significance? Well, Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that his death was effective and effective in two particular ways. First, sin really has been paid for. Sin really has been dealt with. Jesus died and he's risen. The Apostle Paul would write later on in his letter to the Corinthians, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Jesus was still dead, then it would mean that God's wrath was not yet satisfied. His resurrection shows that sin really has been dealt with. God's wrath really has been absorbed by Christ. He's risen. Edward read at the very beginning a poem. And these words he read for us, Christ Jesus lay in death strong bands for our offences given, but now... At God's right hand he stands and brings us life from heaven. He could not do that if he had not been raised from the dead. The fact he is raised means that sin is dealt with and he can impart life to us. Sin really has been paid for. Second, death really has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Again, the Apostle Paul, just a few verses on from that bit in 1 Corinthians. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Again, that poem that Edward read for us says this, it was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory was gained for life. The reign of death was ended, stripped of its power. No more it reigns. An empty tomb alone remains. Its sting is lost forever. Death was defeated. The tomb is empty. And C.S. Lewis wrote somewhere that Jesus has forced open a door that had been locked since the death of the first man. Jesus has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Death is defeated with Christ's resurrection. And so Christ's resurrection means that for all who have put their trust in him, they can have certainty or forgiveness of sin, because sin has been defeated and dealt with, 
and also everlasting life because death has been defeated. It is only in him, it is only in Jesus that we have these things. Only in him can we know forgiveness of sin and the promise of everlasting life. Jesus deals with our problem and our punishment, with sin and death. Jesus really died, and he really rose. That is what Mark is showing us here. But what is the implication of that? What are we to do with that information, this news? Well, the Bible tells us that we are to repent and believe so that we might have hope of life beyond death. How do you respond to this news? The women here respond with fear, don't they? They were afraid. And in many ways, fear is the right response, isn't it? What we've just read about here, what these women have just seen and heard about, was the resurrection of a dead man. They had heard about the resurrection of Jesus, the man they knew and walked with and loved, They saw him crucified. And now they're being told he's risen. Multiple people saw his death. Many witnesses. He really died. But he's risen again. No wonder they were afraid. What are we dealing with here? They might wonder. But not really what, who? Who are we dealing with here? Who is this that's risen from the dead? It can only be the king, can't it? It can only be the king of the universe, the one who created all things, the only one who has power over life and death. Only he can rise from the dead. They have witnessed something beyond monumental. Jesus' death and resurrection is an objective reality, as Mark is showing us, and it changes everything. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. It is the reality at the very epicenter of the Christian faith. His death was the supreme and final sacrifice for sin, humanity's greatest problem, namely our sins against our Creator. Our sins have a solution. Because we have a saviour. And all of us will one day stand before God. And we will stand before him as, as those who are either in Christ, those who know and follow him, or those who do not. And that's it. Those are the only two categories that matter on that day. We will face our maker... And the thing is, he dictates the terms on that day, not us. So we must get right with God on his terms, not ours. And God's terms are these. You must repent of your sins as defined by God and ask God to receive us on the basis of Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. And what he holds out to us, for all who do that, all who repent and believe, he holds out to us forgiveness for our sins and everlasting life. 
And that is an offer made available to all. That is an offer for anyone. Just consider some of the individuals we read about here in this story. The gospel really does transcend all human-made divisions and distinctions and categories. Two of the men we've read about here from totally different backgrounds. The Roman centurion and Joseph of Arimathea. One is a rough soldier, the other a rich Pharisee. But both of them respond in real faith to the events of the cross. Before the cross, we all stand in the same position, whether kings or children, whether rich or poor, whether educated or not, whether Scottish or English or Irish or Iranian or Chinese. Before the cross, we all stand in need of salvation. Before the cross, we all stand in need of forgiveness for our sins. Before the cross, there is no distinction. Before the cross, we all need to repent. And because of the cross, and because of Jesus' resurrection, we can, all of us, find salvation and eternal life. Because there is something beyond this life. There is something beyond this world. There is something beyond our physical deaths. As Jesus demonstrates, there is a resurrection to come. And death is something all of us must come to terms with. All of us will die. None of us will beat it. Every gravestone reads the same. 1909-1987. The dash between those two dates, is the sum total of our lives. All of us, no matter what we've done in this world, no matter the place we've been, the things we've achieved, the wealth we've accumulated, the cars we've driven, all of that is remembered around the world by a dash on a gravestone. The question is, what comes after the second date on the gravestone? Where will you spend eternity? Well, you can know that with certainty by responding to Jesus tonight. Jesus offers you forgiveness for your sin and life everlasting. Life in eternity with him forever. And so Mark would urge you to respond to his good news, which is true news. And the good news is that all who repent and believe can know forgiveness for sin and everlasting life. And so Mark would urge you to choose life. This Easter Sunday, if you haven't already, choose life. Every Sunday is a good way to explore more, to keep investigating Jesus, but perhaps today is the day for you. Perhaps now is the moment you've been resisting but maybe today is the day you can accept the offer for eternal life. Perhaps today is the day that you will repent and believe in Jesus.
That is why Mark wrote this account of true, brilliant news. That Jesus died and he rose. Amen.